Hello everyone and welcome to the Mimetic Exegete podcast. I'm your host, Simon Skidmore. In this series, we've been studying the book of Isaiah. In the first two chapters, we saw the prophet rebuke the Jewish leaders and nobles for oppressing and exploiting the poor. The prophet graphically depicts Israel's destruction as a transformation from glory and riches to rags and poverty. The breakdown of societal law allows imitation to spread unchecked throughout the community. Everyone imitates everyone else, leading to a lack of differentiation and the breakdown of the social hierarchy. The distinction of the mighty man, judge, diviner, captain and counsellor is lost in a sea of sameness as children become insolent to their elders and the most despised in the community become indistinguishable from everyone else. Anyone can become a leader, but no one wants to assume responsibility for the nation, preferring to pursue their own selfish desires. As people imitate the desires of each other, they are drawn into rivalry over commonly desired objects. In pursuit of these desires, everyone persecutes their neighbour, leading to a mimetic crisis. As a personification of mimetic violence, the Lord judges the leaders of the people who have devoured his vineyard. Yet, Isaiah offers hope for restoration for the future, casting a vision of a holy, exalted Israel which leads the rest of the world in righteousness. For Isaiah, social justice is crucial to Israel's prosperity and exaltation. As we read on now from chapter 5 verse 1, the Lord speaks out against the rulers who have destroyed his vineyard by oppressing the poor and marginalised. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded only wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield only wild grapes? But now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste, it shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field, until there is no room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses without inhabitant. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield but an ephah. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp, tambourine and flute, and wine at their feasts, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of his hands. Therefore my people go into exile, for they lack knowledge." 
Their honoured men go hungry, and their multitude is parched with thirst. Therefore Sheol has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure. And the nobility of Jerusalem and her multitude will go down, her revellers and he who exalts in her. Man is humbled, and each one brought low, and the eyes of the haughty are brought low. But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Then shall the lambs graze in their pasture, and nomads shall eat among the ruins of the rich. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes, who say, Let him be quick, let him speed his work that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and let it come that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men at mixing drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his rights. Therefore, as the tongue of fire delivers the stubble, and as dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom go up like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts, and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people. He stretched out his hand against them and struck them. The mountains quake, their corpses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. For all this his anger is not turned away, and his hand is still stretched out. He will raise a signal for the nations far away, and whistle for them from the ends of the earth. And behold, quickly, speedily they come. None is weary, none stumbles, none slumbers or sleeps. Not a waistband is loose, not a sandal strap broken. Their arrows are sharp, all their bows are bent. Their horses' hooves seem like flint, and their wheels like the whirlwind. Their roaring is like a lion, and the young lions their roar. They growl and seize their prey. They carried it off, and none can rescue. They will growl over it on that day, like the growling of the sea. And if one looks to the land, behold, darkness and distress, and the light is darkened by its clouds. The prophet utters six woes against the inhabitants of Israel. The first is sounded against those who swallow up the land and houses of the poor to increase their own dwellings. The same critique could be uttered in our day against people who hoard and exploit the poor to make themselves rich, stockpiling resources that they will never use. The prophet tells these people that the land they have acquired will be barren and desolate in the end. The second woe addresses these people's ignorance concerning the judgment that awakes them. They drink and party all day and all night, enjoying the spoils of their injustice, but they will be humbled by the Lord. Again, the picture of drunkenness is an image of mimetic rivalry and desire and how it corrupts our morals and corrupts our perception of reality. These people have become intoxicated by their own mimetic rivalry and violence, which leads them to pursue their own desires at all costs. The third woe describes the people's sin as so heavy that they need ropes and carts to pull them along. 
these people are arrogant and defiant as they challenge God to reveal his will to them. In the fourth woe, we see these people inverting morality as they approve what is evil. The fifth woe describes these people as wise and shrewd in their own eyes, implying that their damnation is near. The sixth and final woe describes these people as drinking heroes, champions of drinking wine and mixing drinks, suggesting that drinking and partying is all they know how to do. Again, the image of wine, strong drinks and drunkenness is a reference to mimetic desire which intoxicates these people. In contrast to valiant and worthy people who might champion and advocate for the poor, these people unjustly oppress them as they pursue their own mimetic desires at all costs. The overall image is one of an arrogant aristocracy who have become so drunk on their own mimetic desire that they think they can continue to gorge themselves and make themselves rich by oppressing the poor and needy without any consequences or future reckoning. Isaiah assures these people that a day of reckoning is coming. Because these people reject the Lord and his law, they suffer the fruit of their own mimetic desire and violence. The law was always meant to restrict and vent mimetic rivalry and violence when necessary. Forsaking the law allows mimetic desire and rivalry to run rampant throughout the community. Forsaking the prohibition against coveting, these people set their desire upon the riches and power of others and commit violence and injustices in pursuit of these desired objects. As others imitate their example, these people suffer their own mimetic rivalry and violence as it is mirrored back upon them. This violence is portrayed with the familiar imagery of divine wrath and an earthquake which leaves destruction in its wake. But verse 25 says that the Lord's hand is stretched out still, referring to more judgment to come. The Lord inspires other nations to set their desire upon Israel and her wealth. In search of this desire, fierce armies destroy and plunder what is left of Israel. As we read on now from chapter 6 verse 1, we'll consider Isaiah's call narrative. In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say this to the people. 
Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy. And blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until the cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is desolate wasteland. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. The major prophets include a call narrative, in which the Lord commissions them to communicate a message to the people. Isaiah's call narrative is fairly typical. The prophet is awestruck when he receives a vision of the Lord's glory. He also hears an angel declare that the Lord is holy and his whole earth is filled with his glory. The idea of holiness is the opposite of what we call the profane or common. The profane or common is normal everyday things that happen in our lives. It's the people realm. It's the realm that the rest of the world exists in. The world in which you and I interact every day. By contrast, the holy is set apart from the common. It exists in a different realm. Much of the laws in Leviticus, for example, are geared at trying to protect the holy, sacred tabernacle space from becoming contaminated with what is common or unclean. Otherwise, the divine violence which resides at the heart of the primitive sacred may break out amongst the people and destroy them. We see this primitive violence portrayed from verse 4 in Isaiah's vision. We see the foundations of the temple shake at the voice of him who called and the house is filled with smoke, recalling the natural disaster imagery of a volcano about to erupt. Confronted with this image, Isaiah is overcome with fear and a renewed sense of his own sin and unworthiness, which he fears may precipitate an outburst of divine violence. This is a major awakening for Isaiah, which his contemporaries obviously have not had. Isaiah recognizes the danger posed by his unclean lips, while the rest of his contemporaries continue to sin and perpetrate injustice in pursuit of their own mimetic desires. Having recognized and repented from his sin, the situation may now be remedied. An angel takes a burning coal from the altar and touches it to Isaiah's mouth and says, your sin has atoned for and your guilt is removed, thereby allowing the prophet to stand in the Lord's holy presence. This experience is life-changing for Isaiah. Before, he believed himself sinful and unworthy of God's presence, but now, with his self-deprecating thoughts stripped away, Isaiah fearlessly enters God's presence and volunteers to take his message to the people. No longer will Isaiah imitate the mimetic desire of those around him and participate in the same sins, 
but he will now be an agent for change in the world. His message is that Israel will be destroyed because the people fail to see their own sin and its consequences. Although the destruction will be like a large tree that is felled and then burnt, hope for restoration remains with the faithful remnant who survive. Thanks again for joining me on the Mimetic Exegete podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you may do so on the Mimetic Exegete Facebook group. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.